This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Remember to help me fight some negative one-star reviews and leave a review of your own. Also, go to the website and sign up for my investing database for access to the deals that I come across. Makes us get a lot better deals when we work together. Today, I have Damien Lupio on the line. How's it going, Damien? It's good, Lane. It's great to be here, man. I came across you from another podcast, and there was this book offer. Being the cheapskate I am, I signed up for that book, and I started to go through it. And it's the Total Control financial guide to the QRP, which is the Qualified Retirement Plan. But I just wanted to bring you on, maybe to tell your story and to talk a little about QRPs. That sounds great. Let's do it. Yeah. So you are a real estate investor, just like the rest of us. Why don't you share your story so we can hear where you came from? Yeah, definitely. I started my real estate stuff almost kind of on accident back in 1999. Where I had a buddy of mine that was looking for deals. He was out bird dogging, hunting around. And I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I saw some infomercials at night. And I just started to feel like this was a better thing for me to do to go out and hunt deals instead of selling insurance. And he ended up bringing me into this deal. I was the money partner. And what that looked like is I took a cash advance out on my visa card and put the money down for this house, took over a lady's mortgage. And I was a real estate investor with potential passive income. And then I figured out how to actually work with real estate meaning I learned how to electrocute myself, flood a house, get high off paint fumes and fall off a roof. And that was kind of my intro in the spring, figuring all that stuff out. And I caught the bug pretty bad. So over the next few months, I bought several houses and I made this fatal mistake of not actually returning phone calls for people that wanted to move in. So by May of 2000, I was 30 days away from bankruptcy and my career almost ended before it really started. And once I realized that, something took over and I turned into an animal and went out and bought eight houses that next month and kind of went nuts from there, bought another 60 houses over the next 18 months. And between 2000 and 2005, I ended up with about 150 houses that were rentals. I did a few flips that I got killed on because the fundamentals were not very good. This was not a complete home run by any stretch of the imagination. But overall, because I was focusing on passive income, those deals ended up working out really well. And the 2005 moment where I looked at my financials and realized I'd built a $20 million portfolio was pretty exciting. The only problem is I was so full of myself, I decided to go out there and buy a Ferrari and build a pretty big lifestyle that was consuming $75,000 a month in overhead just on whatever I was doing. Not really sure what that was. Once the market collapsed, I watched my $20 million vaporize and go negative about $5 million. And I had to really understand something about myself and what I was doing that had built up this giant portfolio that was built partially on quicksand because of how I was building it and because I was harvesting things. And that the idea behind passive income is you do something once and it pays you forever. And I broke those rules when I was harvesting all my equity, pretty much all my equity. When the markets fell, I didn't have any equity to work with and the banks came knocking and I had to hit the old reset switch and go in the timeout box for a few years and start over. So that was really what I did. It was the single family house model and ended up buying a bunch of apartments, did a remodeling by Graceland and some crazy stories over there with remodeling and having people come in and tear out all my copper from 119 units. They actually did it twice in a year. My armed guard got killed on site. I mean, there some crazy stuff that went on 
it was really all just to be in the middle of deals. There's stuff that you got to deal with. I was doing a little of everything all over the country and then found myself in the start over space a few years ago. And since then, I've gotten back in and looking at deals again and cutting deals on different types of properties, but really doing it from a different lens that's not so speculative or so impatient because you really can make a fortune if you have the patience and you have a plan that's not built on quicksand. So you purchased a lot of these properties with cash flow, I'm assuming in the beginning, or was it just purely speculation on appreciation? My model was completely on cash flow. I would typically buying stuff and lease optioning it or selling it on a contract. I was taking over mortgages in the beginning. Probably the first 30 or 40 houses were houses I just took over mortgages on. And then I started getting, I was doing deals with investors that where they would come in and, and we would share the the cash flow. So I wasn't speculating if the if the terms of the underlying mortgage were good and I could end up with a hundred or two or three from the property, that was good enough for me. I didn't care if I was overpaying for the property because I just cared about that monthly. It didn't matter what the market did until I started trying to harvest equity and I started harvesting equity. And then it was all about the market had to appreciate or I was going to get killed. And eventually that's what happened. So you started at 80, 75% LTV and then you harvest below that waterline? I would, when I was buying stuff, I would buy stuff up to 100 or 105% of value because I was just looking at the actual cash flow. Over the first few years, I would look for things that were under, but it gave me a competitive market advantage to be able to go and pay people or take over mortgages where they didn't have any way out. So I could go in and take over things or even give people some cash and take over a mortgage where they'd have to write a check for ten or 20000 to get rid of their house. I was the only option. Ideally, what I should have been doing is thinking about the equity thing because when markets crash, you sometimes you really need that equity to be able to absorb the shock. I just wasn't thinking about a market going down. And for a lot of years, it didn't really matter. But it really matters if you need to get out of things, if you can't get a renter or whatever, having that equity piece of being in a 70 to 80% loan to value is, that would be my rule now. I didn't really have that rule in the beginning because I was just thinking about monthly cash flow. I'm just trying to make that distinction for the listeners right now. Because some of them will hear, oh, you know, Damon's saying don't harvest equity. And then they're going to go out and get like a 50 LTV or 80% equity into the thing and have this huge cash position. That's not what we're saying here, right? No, I'm saying that there's definitely different ways to approach this. I think what really we want to do is we want properties that are long-term sustainable. And ultimately, if you're at 80% or 50% or 90%, if you've got solid properties, I mean, right now, debt is so cheap that it's almost criminal not to use it if you can use it with some smarts. You don't want to use it and get yourself killed because it can kill you. But the reality is debt's a tool like anything else. And using it you can expand your wealth a lot faster than going out and buying a property for all cash or whatever and, and going that route. Saving your way to wealth is pretty stupid when the money's being printed by the Fed at the rate it's being printed. So I would use debt. I just wouldn't drown myself in debt going forward. Yeah, I always try and stay on that razor's edge of 75 to 80 LTV, but having a couple hundred bucks of cash flow per door. I think it's a great model. I mean, I really think that that's a sound model, it's whether you're starting or or whether you're building up a portfolio. It gives you a safety buffer, both with your monthly and just if markets turn or you decide you don't want to be in that particular neighborhood or whatever, you've got the ability to exit if you've got that type of space. All right. So, Damon, you seem cool to me now and all the listeners that you're an investor yourself. Talk to us a little bit about Wall Street and how does the QRP fall in that strategy? Well, one of the things that I've learned over the years just by studying Wall Street, studying the Federal Reserve, understanding what's really going on, 
there's this storyline that happens with Wall Street, especially that's pitched to people that are professionals that are fairly smart and sophisticated, whether it's doctors or engineers or attorneys. They're told and we're all told to go and put your money there long term. Warren Buffett says, put your money in the market and it's good. It's kind of the messaging that comes out. The problem with this mentality is that the money is sitting there and we're getting feed to death if we have our money there. And ultimately, over a 30 or 40 year period, the real return is maybe three or four percent if you're lucky and the market has gone up. And people don't really get that because it's not explained to them and the math is kept complex and you really don't have any control, which is why I like the idea of real estate so much and creating passive income through property because you can influence the deal. There's nothing you can do to influence Amazon or or GE or whatever stock or mutual fund you're in. Meanwhile, you're taking on all the risk of the markets and the, the guys and gals on Wall Street are taking the majority of the profits. The guy that started the Vanguard fund, John Bogle, has a quote and he said, it seems a little bit off, totally off, that Wall Street is taking 80% of the returns when the investor is putting up all the money and taking all the risk. And that's truly what's happening. The problem is most people don't know they have an option and that's where the QRP comes into play and people have heard about this in different labels, the solo 401k. The idea is you can take control of your money, you can get it out of Wall Street, you can exit that system and start doing things that are under your control and things like buying real estate or precious metals, things that you hold that you can influence. And that's an option that just most people have never heard of. They're just brain damaged by all the messaging from these Wall Street firms. couple myths to debunk here. People say, hey, I'm in this, I don't want to say the name, but some of this higher level mutual fund and their expense ratio is like 0.03. What's your response to that? My response is that there's only certain fees that are required to be shared. There are internal transaction fees and there are costs that are blended into your returns. They're not explicit. That 0.3 or whatever that load or the expense ratio is, is the only one that they're actually forced and required by regulations to tell you exists. But there is so much that's going on in the background that they're not required to tell you about that's chewing into the returns and you would never know. I mean, you really have to go and dig deep and it's kept complex on purpose because that lobby from Wall Street, from the financial firms is so powerful that they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they can continue doing what they're doing, which is making themselves a ton of money. I tell people that to be a direct investor in real estate, you're probably making 20, 30% return every year. But then you look at these REITs and they're making single digits. That's like WTF, right? Right, exactly. It's crazy that there are good people that are in the financial planning world. If you understand what people are doing, they're selling things. Financial planners are salespeople. They sell their product and their product is keeping your money trapped and if you say, I'm interested in real estate or I'm interested in precious metals, their answer is going to be great. I've got a REIT or I've got an ETF for gold. And they're going to keep your money trapped inside of paper assets so that they can get their two or three or 4% every single year, whether you make any money or not. So it's really important to move into what you just said, which is the things that you are controlling directly, that you have realistic expectations of making 20, 30% a year on. You mentioned this term called QRP. Is this a overlying term for all these self-directed IRAs that we're hearing about in the solo 401ks? The QRP is actually something that it stands for qualified retirement plan. It's been around for 40 years and it is literally a 10 times better product than a self-directed IRA, especially for real estate investors. And the reason being with the self-directed IRA, people get excited and, and those get pitched for investors to use. Reason being because custodians make a lot of money on the transaction fees 
every time you get a rent check or you do a transaction, you do a wire, there's all these fees. So they love selling those and setting them up. The the biggest problem with the self-directed IRA, if you're doing real estate, is if you buy a property with your self-directed IRA and you use non-recourse debt, it's the only kind of debt you can use, if you have debt on your property and you make a profit, you have to pay something called unrelated debt finance income. What that means to you is you're going to pay 30 to 40% tax on the profits for the amount of profit that's associated with the debt. That's not what you would expect with an IRA. The good news is with the QRP, if you're doing the same exact transaction, there you can use debt. You can have 90% debt on your property and all your profits you get to keep. You're talking about giving away a fortune if you use the self-directed IRA. There's no reason in the world to use it unless you're forced to. And the only reason you're forced to is if you've got a Roth IRA that you want to roll over. You can only roll that over into another IRA. But beyond that, if you're going to do some type of tax planning with a retirement vehicle, the QRP is the way to go. Not to mention you can hold precious metals yourself and you cannot do that with an IRA. Yeah, so I did the self-directed IRA and that was kind of the issue that I ran into. I had been putting money into it years before real estate and I had got a small amount of money, but I realized that you have to go after this non-recourse debt that you're saying and the terms on those just suck and you can't put any real leverage on it. I think you got to go like 50% loan to value and it just doesn't make any sense with that you bid and all that tax associated. So how do we set up a QRP? Maybe walk us through so we get paid through our W-2 employer and then is this tax or how's it really working? There's a couple ways to do it. When we set up a QRP for someone, once it's set up, you're going to end up with a checkbook. And there's two ways to get money into that account, which is your retirement money. Either one with a rollover. So if you've got 401ks or some old money that's from your tax that you've deferred in previous employers, you can roll as much as you want into the plan. Any type of self-employment income that you have, or if you have your own business, like you're a solopreneur or something, or if you're a real estate investor and you're making money, you can contribute that money and you can contribute up to $60,000 a year. Or if you're under 50, you can contribute $54,000 a year, which is also 10 times better than an IRA. An IRA, you're only able to contribute 5,500. If you want to defer a ton of cash, the QRP destroys the IRA idea. So higher contribution limits. And is it tax-free? Or like, Do I have to pay taxes on the money that I put into the account? You've got two options, and this is one of the coolest things about this. You've got the option of deferring it, or you've also got the option of, so you're not paying taxes now, you pay it later. And a lot of people like doing that because they are getting killed on taxes today. The other option that I like even better is the Roth piece. And so we've heard about Roth IRAs where you can put $5,500 and it's after tax. You pay taxes today, and then you're never going to pay taxes again. You can have up to $54,000 in after-tax money that you put into your plan, which starts every year which starts to give you a ton of cash to go out and do real estate deals. One of the problems though, is people say, well, I'm 20 or 30 years old. There's a lot of young investors and they say, I can't touch this money until I'm 59. Well, there's two ways you can touch it. One, you can borrow, you can write yourself a check anytime you want for up to 50,000 bucks. That's interesting. It's a little sticky if you need more than 50,000 bucks and you want to live on it. One of the options for people is you have your plan and some of your deals inside of it and some outside. That way you can live and not starve to death, just hoping you survive until you're 59 and a half. The other one that most people don't know about is the inherited Roth account. It seems a little morbid, but it's a great family planning tool. If you set up your plan and you hire a parent or a grandparent, the reality is everybody dies. And right now the tax code gives us this option where you can inherit a Roth account. Let's say you're 30 years old. You inherit a Roth account that you set up for your grandparent and the money is now, you inherit it, you've got the account, 
you can go invest that money or you can take the money out even if you're 30. You don't have to wait until you're 60. You can invest it, grow it, spend it, all of this. So if you're a professional real estate investor, if you're just doing deals, imagine being able to buy, sell, lease, all that income's coming in and you can spend it, do whatever you want and grow it the rest of your life without paying taxes ever. So I can be like, hey, Damon, can you set up my parents' QRP plan and then when they die and... 10 to 20 years, I can pick that up and spend it like it was my own. That's exactly right. You get to spend it as if it's, it is yours because you're going to inherit it. And the other thing is you can go and continue to grow it. Even if there was $20,000 in there, let's say from the time you're 40 until you're 50, you take it from 10,000 to a million or 2 million. You can spend it anytime you want. You can keep growing it. And there's never tax because it was in the Roth form. It's an incredible opportunity for people that take advantage of it. And there's talks about either limiting it or shutting it down in Congress, which means in all likelihood, the expectation is that people that have it now would be grandfathered in. There is kind of an urgency here because it's one of the biggest giveaways I've ever seen. It's truly extraordinary to be able to set yourself up and never pay taxes. I have a self-directed IRA and a self-directed HSA. And the pain thing with those is you're only limited to like $3,600 or $5,500 a year. So it's going to take you forever to build up any substantial amount of money in those. You're saying that the limits on these are a lot higher than. Yeah. If you contribute to your IRA and you max it out in 20 years, you're going to have a hundred grand because it's just over 5,000 a year. With the QRP, you're going to be able to put in over 50,000 a year. So over 20 years, you're going to have a million dollars just in contributions. I like that idea of being able to take out 50 grand at any time. You know, I used to tell people to put money into their Roth IRA and then you can take out the contributions whenever you want and to use that as kind of like an emergency fund. But this thing seems a little better. It's huge. And you also have the same ability. You can always pull your Roth contributions out of your Roth account just with your QRP, the same as your IRA. And you can always take the basis out. So you could potentially be sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars that you could pull out and you've got the ability to pull out $50,000 in terms of borrowing. It's kind of like building your own bank where you just write yourself a check. As fast as you can write a check and go to the bank, that's how fast it is for you to get a $50,000 loan. That's a lot better than applying for a bank and begging for money. Take your own money whenever you want. Say I load up 50 grand in there today and then put another 50 grand next year and I have 100 grand in here that supposedly whatever money I make is tax-free. I have the option to take that money out and get a Fannie Mae loan on turnkey rental or put it into a syndication, a couple of syndications at 50 grand each. Absolutely. You have so many options. It's unbelievable. You could invest in syndications. You could invest in things with debt. You can invest in land in Nicaragua. And you really have options there that are unprecedented compared to the Wall Street nonsense that's being pitched to most people. Now, what are the downsides? Downsides is you're totally responsible. When you have a QRP, you have the checkbook and you've got to make sure that you don't do something stupid. And the stupid things are one, not balancing your checkbook. So if you can't balance the checkbook, this is not the deal for you. The other one is there are certain things that you can't do. You cannot invest in things like wine. You can't invest in any lineal descendants, meaning you can't invest with your parents. You can't invest with a kid or your spouse. Certain people you can't invest with. And if you violate those, the IRS is going to thump you. If you don't, and those rules are very clear. If you like to play gray, this could get you into a lot of trouble. It's a really good idea to have a tax account or a tax attorney that's that you're asking questions of. I, I know a lot of people like they get checkbook control and they lose their minds and they do a lot of crazy stuff. So just being rational and making sure you're getting really good advice from pros that you're paying is a really smart move with this. Because if you're not, you could get in quite a bit of trouble. So this enacts all the disqualified uh, transactions. Like if I bought a turnkey rental with this stuff, 
I can't do my own property management on it or go and paint the house. I have to get professionals and pay them via third-party contracts. Exactly. It's called contribution in kind is what it ends up being, where instead of you invest or you contributing $54,000, if you go start painting your rental property and do this stuff, it's like you're contributing more and you're violating the rules. You have to go find somebody else to do those things, which is a smart move anyway, because realistically, how many times can you do investments where you're doing all the labor? You want to have the deal stand on its own. So this sort of forces you to be a more professional investor anyway, instead of being the person that's doing everything and wearing yourself out and has no leverage with other people's time and their energy. Let's talk about like a younger investor, say they're 25 and they load up some money in here and they make some investments. Are they not able to get at this money until a certain age? Yeah, the contributions that are Roth, they're going to be able to tap into it whenever they wanted. The growth that they're going to have in there, they're going to have to wait until they're 59 and a half if it's their account, if it's not an inherited one. That's the downside for this. You would not want to put all of your money into this and do all of your deals in this thing because you would literally starve to death. You can borrow 50 grand and eat for a while, but then you're done. This is a tool in conjunction with other tools. I love it being a blend between having some deals inside and some outside so that you're building things up for the future and you're living currently with some of your profits. Now, I'm sure you put together thousands of these things. What is the ideal client to load up on these 100%? I'm thinking it's someone closer to retirement age. And what do you see for the younger folks? There's a lot of the folks that are setting up their QRPs end up being in their late 20s and 30s, which is kind of interesting because they realize, for one, they tend to have rollovers from different businesses or things, and they want to have control of that money. They don't want that money sitting in no man's land or in purgatory. They end up setting these things up to be able to control their money. They know it's going to be sitting somewhere, and it's probably not going to be doing what they want it to do. So it makes a lot of sense to control any rollover money you have. And Truly, you want to have something that you're putting away for the future. You don't want to be spending all your money all the time. It forces you to have that rhythm around contributions, and it opens the space to have a lot more contributions than you would if you just had an IRA. I think it's the responsible person that's in their 20s and 30s that's going to do this. If somebody's irresponsible or just like I was in my 20s, a total hedonist, I just was spending like crazy, and I wasn't really thinking very much about the future. It depends on whether you've got somebody that's responsible and wants to set themselves up smart for the future. And for your listeners out there, we've got a new sponsor for the podcast, American Home Preservation, and they are accepting non-accredited investors for an investment, which would probably be good in this QRP plan. What do you think, Damon? I think that there's an opportunity there because you can invest in anything you want just about. You can certainly invest with a firm like that. You've got options because you've got your checkbook and you've got your money. So you're not going to have somebody tell you yes or no. It's just going to be up to you. So you really do have the choice at that point. Yeah, the American Home Preservation aims to keep people in their home by buying a whole bunch of these distressed mortgages, and you can invest with as little as $100. To learn more, go to investinhp.com or shoot me an email, and then we can talk about it. Damon, what do you think about precious metals and other things in your QRPs? Let's get creative here. Yeah, that's one of the fun things about the QRP. You have all these options, and it's almost unlimited what you can do. And with precious metals, I happen to be a huge fan of precious metals because it's real money. You can hold it. Sometimes financial planners will suggest if you want to invest in precious metals, you should invest in an ETF. And I'm adamantly against that, mostly because you're not holding anything. It's all smoke and mirrors. And maybe there's stuff there. Maybe there's not. With the QRP, you want to invest in metals. You actually can have those metals shipped to you, and you're holding those. If you want to talk about privacy and control, holding your investments in your hand there's no counterparty, there's no bank, there's no financial institution, it's just you. That's one of the best ways to be able to invest when you're in total control. 
those ETFs are just like the REITs, that example I mentioned earlier in the podcast, where you're not the direct investor. You're getting the leftovers when all the other people take their sales cuts. Yeah, the ETFs, there's typically a ratio. If there's metals in those depositories, there's oftentimes a ratio where there's not enough metals or the futures exchanges, there's not enough metals to cover all the contracts. There's a lot of funny games that are played. It's the same to our fractional reserve lending and our monetary system where everything isn't backed up one for one. The institutions are playing games with your money. But when you hold your money in real form in gold and silver, nobody can play games with that because you hold it. It's real. There's no way to print it. And that's one of the reasons that I love gold and silver so much. And definitely using your retirement money where any gains you make are tax free and you can use pre-tax money if you want to buy that stuff. It's like the government's giving you a subsidy to buy gold and silver. I think that's pretty cool. So I have three principles that I follow when investing. First, it's got to be a hard asset then it's got to be legible. And then the next is has income or cash flow. My beef against precious metals is it's not leverageable and it does not produce income. What's your rebuttal on that? I think you're spot on that it doesn't produce income generally unless you're loaning it out. And sometimes there are some ways to potentially loan it out. But barring that and using it as a either a down payment chunk to as something that backs up your loan, my thinking around precious metals is it's used as a hedge. It's used as a hedge for these out of control printing that's going on by all these central banks. I don't necessarily look at it as an investment. My personal opinion, and I wrote about this in my gold and silver book, that there is an opportunity for people to do really well because the silver and gold markets have been so manipulated for so long. I think that there's a huge upside potential. I like to have it because I don't know what's gonna happen in the world. And when there's a lot of volatility, Precious metals can be a great hedge. I'm certainly not going to put all my money into it, but I do have a chunk, and I think it's a smart thing to have a chunk and then focus on cash flow for the rest. Exactly what you just said. What would you describe as a chunk? I've heard things like 5%. It depends how nervous you are. I've seen people do 5 or 10. People that are more aggressive or more nervous might be more like the 20. It's really just an insurance policy. When you look at it like that, then you don't care what the metals do day to day. But if there's a major crash or something happens and people flee to safety, they're probably going to go to dollars, treasuries, and metals. And so there's a potential there. I like those. It's not really going to impact your ability to create cash flow if you've got 5 or 10% of your money in precious metals. It's truly real money. And just in case the zombie apocalypse happens, there's always having the ability to buy things with real money. I just like it as a hedge. I think 5 or 10 is a really smart number to consider. The word on the street is that there's all these negative interest rates sweeping across Asia and Europe. I think Japan is probably the first one to go maybe when the Olympics are finished. And then all these other countries are going to go under. I don't know if you hear about these special drawing rights, but precious metals kind of falls right into that whole strategy of the apocalypse happening. Yeah, that's a big deal. And one of the things that has happened that China has now become part of, they've got the ability to override where they used to not be able to override the monetary fund, the World Bank, all these institutions that have rules that the U.S. has dominated. China has basically put themselves in the position where they can override the U.S. and they happen to be storing up massive amounts of gold. That's not just for fun. There's a reason. My guess is that they're eventually going to use it as some sort of gold-backed RMB or something. They're going to take their currency and say, hey, ours is more stable. And that has the potential of really disrupting a lot of things. It potentially makes gold a lot more valuable. It hurts the dollar. I don't think we can just dismiss the idea that metals are stupid or a bad idea when there are these very smart central bankers in a lot of these countries that are stocking up in massive ways. That should tell us all something. 
Damon, is there anything else we missed here? Want you just sum up the QRPs or give out your information? Yeah, I think the essence of the QRP is important for people to realize that they can totally control their retirement money, their money that was stuck in Wall Street or in an IRA. And the QRP is truly 10 times better than any IRA. It's worth investigating and making sure that this is part of, of somebody's toolkit so that they're using the supercharged version of an IRA and they're not getting screwed over by Wall Street. And I would encourage people to learn more about the QRP. This one last question I thought of is some people have this huge sum of money in their 401k and they're still working at that employer. Is there any way you can get that out? I've heard of people like going to the HR department and demanding that they get it. If not, they're going to quit. There is a way and there's a legal way. It's, it's called an in-service rollover. It's where you roll over from your current employer into another plan and that, that other plan can be your QRP. You've got the ability to do it. It's up to the employer's plan and the administrator. Really, you kind of have to strong arm them. That may or may not work if you have a giant firm, but there are ways to do it. People have done it that have worked in the government and there's no bigger institution than the U.S. government. So I've seen people do this. It just depends on how important it is to you. If you push hard enough, there's generally a way to tap into some of this money and pull it out. The reality is however you can get it out is probably better than having it stuck in there. Even if you got penalized, I don't trust Wall Street the way I trust myself. And so I want to have the money in my control. I don't want it in somebody else's control that doesn't have any risk. They just have all the upside with their fees. I mean, you want to give out your uh, information, give them that URL? Yeah, you bet. Folks that want to get a copy of the book that I wrote on the QRP that Lane mentioned, if you go to totalcontrolfinancial.com forward slash SPC for simple passive cash flow, there's a spot on there. I'll send you a copy of the book and it'll help educate you and make you a more powerful, more wealthy investor just with that new tool. So I'd love to give a copy to anybody that's interested. And it's again, totalcontrolfinancial.com forward slash SPC. And you want to give out your contact information, Damon, or just get you on the website? The website is the best place to reach and literally goes right to my team. It goes right to me. People can always reach me there. There's my heads there. You click on my head and you're going to find me on LinkedIn. And I'm, I love when people reach out that are in the middle of the, the passive cash flow game. Love to help people and support them and, and share my background and experiences and help them avoid those landmines that they can blow our knees off and help them make more money. It's a good thing that you're doing, getting people set up with stuff. And you guys are pretty much a turn and burn business. What is it, like a couple grand to just set up one of these accounts and then they're off and running forever, huh? Exactly. You don't get charged for doing a wire or getting a rental income check or all those fees that custodians with IRAs are going to charge you forever until you're dead. That doesn't happen. You can do a million transactions and you're not going to have a per transaction fee. So you're set up and then you're off to the races. You can even buy some gold from you too. So Exactly. Damon, we'll appreciate getting on the line. I appreciate it, Elaine. Thanks so much. Thanks. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.